Welcome to the Office Space Podcast with your host, Dougal Jeppy, where he and his guests discuss relevant topics that are affecting occupiers of office space. And today I'm changing up the format uh, slightly. Instead of interviewing just one person, which I've been doing, I'm going to have three people plus myself on the line. So I'm not sure how, uh, how it's going to work out since we're not all in the same room, but hopefully we won't be talking over each other too much. The topic today is around general market trends from the perspective of four prominent Collier's office occupier experts from four major markets. We've got Seattle, New York City, Dallas, and my hometown of Chicago. So after a year of suffering through the COVID real estate market, we all are starting to see an increase in activity as clients look toward a reentry back to the office. What that looks like and exactly to what extent people will continue to work from home is still being determined. But uh, I'm particularly hopeful that this discussion will at least uncover some of the common trends that we're seeing. So let's welcome our guests. We've got Joe Riley from Seattle, Michael Thomas from New York, and Travis Ewert from Dallas. Joe, let's start with you. If you would mind just telling us something about yourself and then one thing about uh, Seattle that, that you love. Yeah, Dougal, you bet. Thanks for having me on this. been excited to, to participate, so uh, thanks for the invitation. Um, so I have been with Collier's since 2012. Um, I focus on downtown office tenant representation primarily. Um, and let's see, something I love about the, about the city or the region, I hate to give the cliche answer, but the, the natural beauty of the Pacific Northwest is, is a major benefit of the area and uh, accessibility to, uh, to nature outside of the city. You can get there relatively quickly compared to a lot of uh, major metro markets. That's great. Thanks. Okay, moving on, uh, Michael Thomas from New York. Sure. Thanks, Dougal. Good to be here. I have been with Collier's for probably about 15 years now, worked in a whole slew of departments from property management to research to landlord work. And I've decided that the best home for me is tenant representation. Representation. We do primarily uh, the creative side of the business, which would really more specifically be defined as technology tenants financial technology, um, advertising agencies, branding companies, IT consultancy, and things of that nature. So really your, your modern design, open benched seating is what we deal a lot with. And I think, again, not to give a cliche answer, but one of the beauties of New York, especially now that we've been missing it for a year is the true energy and flow that you get being here when you have a fully up and running occupied city. So it was certainly something I took for granted until it disappeared overnight. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. And Travis from Dallas. Yeah. Travis Ewart uh, from Dallas. I'm going on seven years at Collier's. I focus specifically on office tenant representation and um, submarket specific in downtown and uptown Dallas, the core of the city. Um, I do some work in the suburbs as well, but I grew up in the core and I'm one of the few brokers that actually 
grew up here from a young age, went to school down here and uh, can tell a really good story about the evolution of our city and, um, as a whole. But love Dallas. Uh, it's a great place to build a family, which I now appreciate having a, a six year old boy. Um, a lot of a lot of great kids, um, very friendly people. And I didn't really appreciate that until I, I used to be in the consulting world. I worked at KPMG and Accenture prior to real estate and uh, traveled 100 percent and um, got to really love and appreciate Dallas for what it was um, once I got to experience living in some other places. But happy to be here and uh, look forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Yeah, thanks, Travis. And if there was one thing about Dallas that you love more than some of the others, what would it be? Well, um, I just think that the friendly people. Yeah. And yeah, just the ability. I, I'm one of those people that's out there connecting in person. I'm, I'm not a much of a phone guy, um, but it's just easy to do here. Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people are easy to get to know and transparent and yep. it's real people, I, which I love. Well, we appreciate that. Uh, thanks for that, guys. Um, my favorite thing about Chicago is, I think, the lakefront. It's a, uh, it's a tremendous natural resource that I take advantage of a lot. And um, even though it's, it's cold, um, if you're suited up correctly, you can get out there and enjoy it. So, um, but, you know, Michael, like you talked about, there's a certain energy in a city that you miss, gosh, that's something I miss a lot. Um, but I, I see it coming back. And so my first question or, you know, topic of discussion is, um, I guess I, I somewhat uh, presumptively suggested that I'm seeing an, we're seeing an increase in activity. I certainly am. And f looking at just the last couple months, can you talk about the level of activity relative to the previous 10 months, let's say? And uh, Travis, how about you? What, do you, what are you seeing? Um, I agree that we're seeing an up uptick in, of activity. It's just now beginning. I feel like we had to get through the election and uh, in the new year. Um, there's been a lot of tenants just trying to figure things out. Um, so there's a lot of pent up demand. Uh, the majority of the, the activity we're seeing is from more of the opportunistic tenants that are looking for quick plug and play space that are mm -hmm. very nicely built out that are fully furnished uh, where they can take advantage of the, the situation that we're in. Um, a lot of the tenants that we were working with that um, were on the market looking for long-term leases with a, with a full TI build out and, all, and uh, you know, the 10 plus year transaction, those are kind of sitting on the sidelines right now and doing the short-term extensions just to let the dust settle a little bit um, because nobody wants to go out and spend a lot of, a lot of money on a, on, on a build out in a 10 year plus commitment when they don't mm -hmm. know how people are going to work. Right. Um, it's a, it's kind of a wait and see. And, and there's uh, also head counts, a big issue that we're starting to see coming to play right now. Uh, some of our clients are just now, realizing that they need to make some cuts and that um, a lot of companies been hanging on as long as they could without laying people off. But unfortunately we're starting to see that culminate. Okay. Joe, are you, do you concur with some of that? Is that similar in your market? 
It is similar. Um, my, uh, my scientific barometer is when I come into the office in the morning, how far down I have to drive in the parking garage uh, to park. Mm-hmm. You know, six months ago, every, every spot right by the elevators on the first level were open and now going down a couple levels, which to me is a good sign of people getting back in the building, back in downtown and back to work. Uh, the activity, uh, 100% agree with Travis. In the last, I'd say following Thanksgiving, we've had a major uptick in tour activity, uh, both existing clients that we're out in the market with looking for space and also on our sub listings at the moment. So um, post Thanksgiving, everything started to get busier in the last month. Uh, that activity has probably doubled again. And in this region, similar to um, you know what I, what I see in the national news for a lot of regions, uh, the larger occupiers, the larger employers in our region, um, specifically technology companies. So up here, you're talking about Amazon, obviously, Microsoft, obviously, and then a lot of uh, you know, Bay Area groups like Google and Facebook who have um, substantial engineering outposts up here targeting end of summer, early fall as their return to work timeline. And, uh, you know, obviously that could shift, may shift. We'll, we'll see how that shakes out. But for the time being, that has, that has been the target date. And what that's doing for a lot of the smaller tenants, um, smaller occupiers, is driving them towards a similar back-to-the-office uh, uh, target timeline. And, you know, I think everybody is happy to either work from home and, and uh, not upgrade their space, not take on a larger lease obligation so long as the competition is doing the same. But as soon as um, as soon as there's a trend back towards the office, I think that we'll see a lot of the, the smaller occupiers follow that as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, com- commenting on that. I think there's a, there, I, I think there's a tremendous opportunity for a first mover advantage. I mean, there's one particular market in Chicago right now called Fulton market, and there's a larger deal, uh, you know, it used to be 56,000 square foot all day was not that big of a deal. Now there's a 6,000 square foot deal and everyone's watching it. Um, but, you know, people are waiting to see when, when and if that gets signed and it's a confidential tenant, but that by itself, I think will kind of spark. People are waiting for someone else to make those sort of moves um, so that they can have better line of sight. How are they going to, how are they going to plan the space? What sort of flexibility and term and space are they going to, require? When are they going to take occupancy? Are they downsizing? Are they, you know, all those sort of things. Uh, not a lot of metrics out there right now, but it's interesting. What about you, Michael? Yeah, I, I would say there certainly is an uptick in interest. I think, you know, some groups, especially on the tech and the fintech sides have done extraordinarily well over the last 12 months. So we've actually seen a number of these startup VC backed companies go from 50 person companies to 250 person companies. And they haven't the slightest idea how to plan for this kind of growth because they've never experienced it before. And they're not sure if it's a anomaly or if it's going to continue. Um, there's obviously been a lot of press around New York about, is it the end? Is it the death? Will it come back? And I mean, my take on it, I've, I've been here so long. I think New York is New York and it's not meant to be a political comment, but it's meant to be more of a broad comment about the, the, the budget gaps that have 
resulted from the lockdown and the lost revenue and the transportation holes for the MTA and the Port Authority. And obviously, a lot of the hedge fund and financial firms that hit the press about moving, you know, investment banking down to Miami, for example, there's a very large group I won't name specifically, but that's that's not good publicity. But I think one of the biggest telltale signs is that the residential rental market is starting to really heat up. They had the busiest January on record for at least the 15 last 15 years that seems to be continuing through February. And, and you're, Michael, you're talking New York City, Manhattan. Cor- correct. I mean, New York City, okay. Manhattan, Brooklyn, which is really Williamsburg, Greenpoint, Park mm-hmm. Slope, and then parts of uh, Long Island City and Queens. But yes, really, you know, the, the young commutable areas around New York City, which had truly just you know, become desolate. You could walk down Fifth Avenue and not see a soul and not see a car. I think a lot of the people moved out to what we would deem them as suburbs, which is upstate New York, Connecticut, or New Jersey, so that they could spread out, get a little more space, have a backyard, you know, live a more traditional lifestyle because quarantining in a 1,000 square foot apartment for a year is just simply not a sustainable way to live. So, Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people left, and I think they're all coming back because the companies themselves are, you know, one, highly encouraging it, and two, you know, people are really trying to get back to a more normal way of life. And I think that buzz is becoming more prevalent as it continues to warm up, and the sunnier days are here, and the snow is melting. I mean, I hear even the snow in Texas is melting, so. <laughs> you know, I, I think there are sunny days ahead and the activity is certainly starting to be how do we plan for a short, medium and long term commitment here? Because, you know, with with the growth I was referencing, it, it's certainly a new conundrum, especially coming off the back of a pandemic. So, yeah, yeah, you know, it, it, it'll be interesting to see how some of these groups choose to tackle their problems. That's for sure. Right. Right. Good perspectives. Uh, kind of a snapshot in time. I'd like to hear the vacancy rate in each market and how that might compare to last year. So for example, in Chicago, the vacancy rate, you know, when we captured it in the fourth quarter and it's gone up a bit, just a bit, but it was uh, 15%, which was up from 13.8% in the previous quarter. And we had 5.8 million square feet of sublease space. It's closer to 6.3 right now, which is double from 2019. The highest vacancy submarket we have in Chicago right now, which last year was the lowest sublease vacancy market, is 28.3% in Fulton Market, uh, where there's a couple buildings that have been... Uh, um, developed and, and introduced to the market. And so that's making that go up. But uh, from from your other markets, uh, Joe, what stat-wise, can you give us a, a snapshot? Yeah, so just just from a strictly vacancy uh, percentage for the region and, you know, our, our market, it's technically divided into two markets of Seattle, which is roughly 70 million square feet and 
then downtown Bellevue and the east side, the greater east side, stretching up to Redmond, where Microsoft is headquartered. That market is roughly 30 million square feet. So generally, we, we lump them together, call it a approximately 100 million square foot market. The Q4 of 2019, we were at just under 7.5% vacancy. Currently, our Q4 2021 um, or 2020 was at about 10. And uh, there's been quite a bit of sublease space coming on the market between when these fourth quarter stats of 2020 were done and now. And so we're seeing that uh, that gap even widen a bit. So the, the sublease space specifically has been a huge driver and everyone does their uh, does their research numbers a little bit differently, whether sublease falls into vacancy or not. But the reality is uh, lots and lots of groups are uh, focusing on sublease space, which is keeping current vacant space vacant. And so it's definitely having a major impact on our market. And how much space does Amazon occupy approximately for office? Yeah, that's, your market? that's a great question. So downtown Seattle, I will say approximately 12 right now, 12 million square feet. Um, they, there's been some talk of some of their buildings that expirations are coming up in that they will not be renewing. That's not been verified, but just rumors around the market. The biggest news with them in our region is their rapid expansion in Bellevue, which is the kind of the core of the east side market of that 30 million square foot market that I referenced. Um, they're taking upwards of four to five million square feet all very quickly. So that the dynamics of that downtown core, which if you just take downtown Bellevue, it's about 11 million square feet. The dynamics there are just changing incredibly fast. And um, part of that is the, the light rail expansion in our region is now connecting downtown Bellevue all the way across Lake Washington through downtown Seattle and out to um, University of Washington. And so it's very much, you know, over the years, the two markets have becoming more and more one market and this public transportation um, expansion is is uh, expediting that and we're seeing that through the the growth of amazon and other companies on the east side of our market yeah great thanks for that yeah. uh travis how about you in dallas you know we we've typically been hovering around 20 percent give or take um in vacancy over the past uh 10 years or so and a lot of that is is because we continue to add new product. Uh, Dallas is really big on, um, and we've been hitting the ball out of the park on some corporate relocations, and uh, that's that's really driven up confidence from developers and landlords as we have gone through this uh, boom period since uh, since the last recession. So we've been adding a ton of square footage, um, which has been taken up uh, pretty quickly. Um, We've seen a big flight to quality. A lot of tenants have been moving out of those older buildings and into new product. And uh, these landlords have been uh, putting a lot of money into revamping the existing product out there. And there's just been a, it, it's been great for our industry. Um, I think there, there's been a few buildings out there that have kind of been caught since we got into this pandemic with empty buildings that are that are in high-end districts that have uh, had a full pipeline of prospects shrink from uh, a lot to nothing, mm -hmm. which, you know, that should be pretty interesting how that all shakes out. Mm -hmm. um, so we, 
but I, I agree. A lot of the uh, the true vacancy, we I don't think we're gonna know for a while what that looks like um, until some of these subleases expire and some of we start to see how some of these tenants plans shake out over, over the next few years. Um, we're currently sitting at about eight and a half million square feet of sublease space, down from nine million um, around the fall of last year. So we've had some good uh, activity in the, the sublease market. A lot of the a lot of the big subleases that uh, had really nice build out and furniture and mm -hmm. term all mm -hmm. went really quickly. Mm -hmm. I participated in one of those personally, and it was uh, it, it made a lot of sense. There there wasn't a lot of movement on the rate, but just mm -hmm. the having, not having to deal with the capex uh, side of the side of the equation was very attractive. How much term uh, was on that? Eight years, and they took the full term. They took the full term. Okay. Yep. So that's essentially, I mean, that's essentially like a new deal. It's just a spec suite, right? I mean, correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. We're seeing that here as well. Uh, it's great opportunities for, for the subtenants. But our landlord group came out with some interesting stats that they shared with me earlier. Um, apparently 40% of all the subleases out there in Dallas right now have less than three years of term. Mm -hmm. uh, only, uh, only two of there. There's seven subleases over a hundred thousand square feet that makes up 17% of everything mm -hmm. uh, right now, and only two of them have come on the market since the pandemic. So five of them predated the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like it's really we haven't really had the impact I was expecting personally, which is great. Uh, the, the majority of the subleases out there that take up the bigger percentage or are 5,000 feet and, and below. Yeah. Um, there's, there's a lot of them out there and um, I guess it, it'll be interesting to, to look back one of these days and, and study what, what these employees in these smaller firms are doing. Are they holding up shop and going back into the corporate world and getting absorbed back into the, the corporate workforce or are they flowing into into co-working or um or are they just going to work from home from now on but that'll be interesting to see but i i expect just like 2008 it took it it really took a couple of years in dallas for us to start to see some of the the bigger picture effects and and i expect this i expect that 100 percent after after we deal with this yep thanks for that are you guys seeing a big delta between the asking rates and the taking rates? I'll, I'll, you know, I'll start. I mean, I think in Chicago, there's been a bit of a, uh, a lack of, uh, of deals. So from a data standpoint, the institutional landlords and other landlords just don't have enough data from their leasing teams to point to, you know, taking a dramatic hit. So um, I would say for the first part of the the pandemic, it was more, more free rent, more TI. We're still kind of going that way, but it is a bit product specific. There's certain landlords that have built out a spec suite, let's say, and let's say it's uh, let's say it's option space for someone, and it's six to eight years. They're lowering, you know, their their price by you know three four dollars in some cases. Whereas other landlords, you know, if there's a full build out needed and everything, they're not discounting as much. So it kind of depends. Um, but, you know, from the tenant's perspective, if they're getting it in free rent or additional TI, um, 
it can net out to just a significant discount overall. So, um, Michael, what do you what do you see in? I York? think uh, one of our my partner's deals is a great example. We just finished up a ninety thousand foot transaction. Can't get into specific comps, but I think the appetite of the landlord once they realized it was a, a credit worthy. Uh, parent company backing this food delivery group that was, you know, obviously rapidly growing because everybody was ordering these at-home meal kits. Really, the deal structure worked out to our need of about 30,000 feet today, growing to 60,000 feet within the next 18 months, and option space that we are very confident would be needed within the next three to five year period. And the landlord really ended up giving us about six months up front, the 18 months on the, on the second tranche or about a third of the 90,000 feet. And they deferred the third section of growth space by three years. So if you take all of that free rent and average it out, you're looking at about an 18 month offset of free rent coupled with a full mm -hmm. custom build which is probably around $120 mm -hmm. a foot. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I'd say that is certainly an attempt to purchase a higher face rent. But keep in mind, you've got a billion-dollar guarantor on the hook. So this is not something for your typical startup group, which might need 50 or 60,000 feet, right? You're, you're right. just not, not going to look at the right. same structure. But I think uh, right. overall the stats tell us that the taking rents are about 10% off. The concession packages are on average across the city bumping about on average, call it 15 for easy math. So your Delta is somewhere between 17 and a half and 25% on the surface. And, you know, if, if you go shopping in the right area, find the right sublease, you might be able to get upwards of 30 or 30, 5% discounts from, you know, the late 2019 market high. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joe, what about you? What are you seeing in terms of deal structure and take rates versus asking rates? You know, our situation, I think, is pretty similar to how you painted the picture in Chicago, where institutional landlords have not really made a significant, if any, adjustment to the face rates. Uh, I think once you actually get into the deal, there's probably more room, or not probably, there certainly is more room than there was a year ago. But um, as far as what they're putting out there to the market, hasn't been a major adjustment. Uh, certainly, certainly more concessions offered in the way of TI's free rent, space pocketing, you know, uh, gradual growth into spaces, et cetera. Um, and that's on the institutional side, the more local ownership structures, definitely have come to the table and gotten really aggressive on rates and are you know primarily focused on occupancy um so kind of a tale of two worlds depending on uh, the the ownership structure that you are working with or dealing with or negotiating with um and then uh and then on the sublease side again because it's just it's very relevant in what everybody is considering right now uh, we're seeing incredibly high quality space that has been signed in the last three, four years at sometimes less than 50 cents on the dollar and requiring virtually no startup cost capital to get into the space. Um, and so that, uh, again, to my point earlier, I think the sublease 
opportunities that exist right now. And we have big blocks of brand new class A construction sublease opportunities that are fully built out available. Those are starting to, uh, I think, inevitably influence the institutional ownerships of similar buildings to have to compete with those on a, on a deal basis. Yeah. Travis, anything you want to add? Well, I, I mean, like I mentioned before, I, I think landlords aren't getting that aggressive quite yet. I think it's going to take some time for uh, reality to set in with some of them, but right now they're really competing against the big subleases. Mm-hmm. And uh, the really good subleases are moving quickly. Um, but, but yeah, I, prior to the pandemic, you would see, you know, a dollar to two dollars a foot difference between quoted and asking. Um, depending on the size, that you know, that fluctuates pretty heavily. But landlords are obviously preferring to give more on the concession side to land to land transactions right now. Um, the bigger institutional landlords are giving a lot of tenant improvement allowance and the smaller ones are having trouble coming up with those dollars right now. So I think um, we're seeing a lot of uh, a lot more attention being paid to the landlords themselves and how credit worthy they are and uh, how likely are they to, uh, you know, to stay, to not fall apart over the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. Um, just like tenants, there's a much higher risk these days with a lot of tenants. Um, Another trend right now that we're seeing is, is shell space. Just like in 2008, shell space is not attractive anymore. Or white box space. People want some bones to work with, uh, something to assure them that they can come in and uh, that their build out, you know, they, they can use 100% of their TI and not have a lot of left, you know, money to spend after that. Um, so I think we're going to start seeing a lot more, uh, a lot more spec suites, a lot more landlords trying to take a stab at what the tenants want and are looking for, but, but that's, that's pretty hard to read right now. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good segue into the next topic, which is workplace design and uh, talking about density and flexibility. Uh, I've had a number of meetings with architects and clients where there's an overwhelming sense of we're, we're really not sure about how we're going to do it. We know it's going to be a hybrid model of some sort, but I've heard a lot of, you know, if you're coming in three days a week, you'll be guaranteed a desk. If you're not going to come in three days a week, you're going to hot desk it. And then they got to increase the cleaning specs in the space. Um, there's some, some good software out there for planning kind of a re-entry and how it's going to be organized within the space. But a lot of people are still working, working through it. And I'm, I'm finding it very industry specific. It's company specific. If it's privately held in a strong CEO, he or she might just dictate how it's going to go down. Um, and, uh, it's really kind of all over the board, but there's some, I'm, I'm starting to see some, some trends starting emerge, some common trends to, to emerge in terms of, you know, if you're taking space with interior offices, those offices maybe become more meeting rooms than just individual space. I'm seeing more trends around coming into the space and it's a place for purpose and socialization. So we're creating those vignettes where that's happening and um, how that's actually translated in the space plan is, is still a work in progress. But uh, as far as density goes there I've seen very little wholesale changes to space. It's more about moving around some furniture workstations, putting up dividers, 
And that's about the extent of it. And then just the other day, I was with an architect who was talking about they've got a client, they're doing a lot of um, movable desks. So they're not necessarily on casters, but they're light desks that they can just kind of almost pick up and pop around. So if they want to have, if they want to be away from someone, they can and all keeping within the six feet. So I think that flexibility is going to really show itself in the furniture and furniture is going to become more and more important. So I'll throw that out there for whoever else wants to chime in here. Sure. It's, it's Mike from New York. I think that's, that's spot on. And it really does seem to be industry and tenant specific. We had a call with Gensler the other day and their data set said that on average, it's a 10% reduction in space. And that's because they, they're, they're spreading out a bit more. They are building in more of this flexible furniture model so that you can assemble an engineering team or a sales team. And if a project requires three or four different people, they'll, you know, simply move furniture around. But it, it's really, you know, by spreading out a bit while also offering more remote flexible work-life balance with the model that a lot of people have seen can work, your footprint doesn't dramatically drop by 40% once you start to average everything out. So I, I think what's also starting to happen as the vaccine continues to roll is that, you know, use the term consumer confidence if you like, but, you know, office space confidence is, is, is slowly ticking up and getting higher and, and wholeheartedly agree that that there's no revolutionary design change coming. It's more space utilization, right? It, it's still life, mm -hmm. you know, quality of life, amenity driven um, uh, use cases. And it's just how can we, you know, take what we've learned over the last 12 months and adapt it to this new, you know, flexible working environment is a lot of what we see. So I'll, I'll add to that, and this is Joe in Seattle, uh, Michael, to piggyback off of your comment about amenity-driven space. You know, we had an interesting meeting with an architect and, uh, and an occupier recently where, uh, you know, it's been all over the headlines and, and very, very relevant in all of our worlds over the last 10 years with how, um, you know, companies are using their amenities, using their spaces as amenities, providing amenities, dry cleaning, lunches, coffees, you know, what just make it a one-stop shop for their employees and how, how far that had gone. And the kind of the, the tone of that conversation we've had recently is that that's going to even just get ramped up on a whole new level because as the ability to work flexibly, work remotely uh, becomes a hiring uh, edge for companies, they then in turn want to, even if they have to provide the flexibility, the truth is most of them want their people in the office as much as possible. So they have to incentivize them now more than ever to come into the office. And so all those things that you said, as far as just the statistics and, you know, the actual size of the space not being drastically changed is, is pretty consistent with what we've been seeing in this market as well. But I thought it was interesting having that conversation about how a lot of these groups are just going to really, really uh, turn to the amenities as a way to keep their people uh, coming to the office, even if they are providing them the flexibility to not come in as much as they used to. Yeah. And I'll, I'll piggyback on that as well. I, this is Travis. Um, from what I'm seeing, it, it's all, this is all going to be driven by 
behavior of the tenants themselves. And, and I'll use my office as, as an example. Um, even in the heat of the pandemic, you come to our office and it's like people get here and they, they go through, I won't name any names, people go through the, the lobby and all the common areas wearing their mask and they get here and they take their mask off. And it, it's kind of like when you go to a restaurant and you, you're you all masked up and as soon as you get to your table, I, that's your safe bubble and everybody takes their masks off. Like like. Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore, Travis. No masks in Texas, right? Yeah, that's a hot topic right now and it's Man, their neighbors going to war over this. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> All the, oh, my wife. Oh, yeah. She's getting, that's a heated topic. But, but yeah, you come to our office and people take their masks off and they're um, walking around like normal. A lot of people are. Um, it's mainly separated by who works with who the most. But mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to get past this and um, get back to what kind of close to normal i guess sooner than what most people expect i and i think that's what a lot of uh, employers are waiting to see is uh, how mentally impacted are uh, are people as they come back to work or how, how quickly can they get over the the trauma that they've experienced um and I think that's going to be different in, in, in every city. You got a New York or LA where there's been uh, a heavier impact. Dallas hasn't really uh, been impacted, but not nearly to that, to that extent. So I don't feel like the fear is as high. Uh, yeah. I know, I know a lot of people that have had it and I know uh, some, some have had more bad cases and some are just really pissed off because they, uh, they had it and it was the sniffles and they they're they like we we just put our country through this because of because of this so they're i think we're all just over, all over the place and there hadn't really been any clear direction um over the past past year um so anyway long story short yeah texas with the mask mandate being lifted they just also said that they're still going to require it at schools um a lot of people most people i know are still going to mask up in public until the vaccines have made their way around at least until you've had a chance to get a vaccine um and that's the big controversy right now is why are we doing this before everybody has had a chance to get the vaccine right i kind of agree yeah very controversial but um probably political too to some degree like everything else these days yeah right exactly um well i want to be respectful of everyone's time and then also everyone's uh uh, uh, essentially uh, attention span that would listen to this. So I think we got to, we, we could talk about a lot of different things and, and, we, and I have a list of other things and maybe we have a part two of this because this has been helpful for me. And I think there's some, some common trends here and threads here that we could uh, go off on, but I want to thank everyone for their time and uh, look forward to working with everyone at some point in the future. Yeah. Thanks everybody. Yeah. It's been great. Thanks for organizing Dougal. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dougal. Great to connect with all of you. Okay. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Office Space Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll catch you next time.